0: Hey everyone, Louie from Kick the Jukebox here. Just wanted to let you know that what you're listening to is the podcast version of Kick the Jukebox with shorter music clips. If you want to listen to the whole shebang, visit our show page at Kpis.fm. That's k p i s . f m. Okay, thanks for listening, and bombs away! Kick the Jukebox is so much fun Kyle and Louie are number one Kick the jukebox kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh yeah. Oh, hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. My name is Louis Perlman. And my name is Kyle Harris Gordon. Oh, that's so nice. You're using your full name. Yep, I'm trying I'm trying it out. My name is Louis Eli Perlman. Oh nice. Oh I knew that from our um Oh episode. yeah, our Lorneiro episode. <laughs> which is an episode I've been thinking about lately because it was so classy that we covered her. Oh, yeah. And uh, I want that to be apparent that we're very classy gentlemen as we move into what we're talking about today.
1: Oh, of course. I mean, it goes without saying, yeah. Um, We have very uh, varied and diverse and sophisticated tastes. Yeah, man, what's the show about? What do we do here at Kick the Jukebox? So every uh, show, we pick another album of music from our eclectic and diverse and sophisticated tastes, And uh, we talk about it, and uh, we also, uh, we listen to some songs from the album, we dissect it, we go into the history, and also we're extremely fun and good guys. Yeah, we're we're the nicest of men.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, yeah, you can totally listen to us on KPIS.FM, which is what we're broadcasting live from right now. Mm -hmm. You can find us on all of the podcatchers of your choice, Mm -hmm. Spotify, iTunes, the Android store, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. Right now we're broadcasting out of, we're in the middle of a heat wave. Yeah. In the middle and... of a trailer that has AC, but the AC keeps cutting on and off. So Kyle, go reset that AC for yeah, us. Yeah, so just we may be intermittently getting breaker. up to
1: uh, turn the AC back on. We are in a hot.
0: We're in a hot trailer. trailer. We just don't want to, we don't want to die, basically. So Kyle, go flip the uh, power bar, the power bar that it's connected to over. Yeah, just, just flick that. Oh yeah, it's going to go on and off every five minutes, I just have a feeling. Now, it's okay, it's great, here we are, kick the jukebox. Um, So today, we're going to get to it, we're going to talk about some of the songs that we've been loving lately first, but today we're going to be talking about the uh, Aqua album from 1997, uh, which is called Aquarium, and uh, yeah... Uh, Kyle, are you having trouble with that? Yeah. Okay, man. <laughs> <laughs> Kyle, um, what uh, uh, what have you been listening to lately? Let's uh, let's talk about that. Yeah,
1: so, uh, of course, at the top of the show, we pick a song that we've been listening to or thinking about recently, and so I picked uh, Pet Shop Boys' uh, Go West from 1993. Uh, yeah,
0: it's awesome. Should we listen to a little bit of it now? Yeah, and then maybe we'll talk about it. Yeah, okay, so here's Go West by the Pet Shop Boys. Well, I'm- All right, so that's Go West by the Pet Shop Boys. Uh, Kyle, this uh, song has a really interesting story to it, right? Very interesting. Yeah, yeah,
1: fill us in. um, I got a lot of this information. There's this great Deadspin article from a few years ago that goes into the sort of the history of Go West. Um, But it really started, so the first version that was famous was the Village People version from their 1979 album, go west yeah which was written by
0: I wrote it down it was written by um uh Jacques Molnay and Henry uh Bellolo who (laughs) were the two people that created the village people yes and then they wrote it with um uh uh oh god what's his name um Victor Willis, who hmm. was the sailor in the village people, who oh. wrote a bunch of their songs with them.
1: Interesting. Yeah. But it's based on the... Pockabell's Canon.
0: Pacabell's Canon, which you can hear in, actually in this arrangement really well. Yeah. And then it's also um, the Russian, the USSR national anthem yes. as well, and which is fascinating. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yes. And in the... Um so, yeah, in the original Village People version, it's, like, got the big sort of, like, USSR vocals, but uh, uh, that, like, go west, that thing. Um, but it was really more of, like, a kind of a gay... meant to be, like, a gay anthem of, like, go west, go to San Francisco yeah.
0: thing. Um, yeah, where you can be free. Yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And then... Uh, the... When you've
0: exhausted all possibilities at your local YMCA. Yeah, so exactly. To just book it to San Francisco. Go yeah. west,
1: or join the Navy. That's the uh, Village People... Uh, uh, mantra but um so yeah it was this gay anthem in uh, 1979 uh was not one of the hits from that al- uh, one of the bigger hits from that album at the time because uh, in in the navy was the bigger hit but then yeah which is great yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then uh the pet shop boys in 93 took it and they did this version of it which is amazing um and in the video they did kind of have this tongue-in-cheek like soviet uh, communist propaganda-y vibe um and then you know kind of an aside it was sort of adopted and became very popular in europe like because this was right after the fall of the Berlin wall right after the end of uh uh the fall of the soviet union so all these like newly uh, democratizing like um former soviet countries kind of like adopted it as like a like very sincere uh anti-soviet anthem. Yeah. And uh, yeah. which was really interesting. But the it lives on to this day because um it you know it was a big it was a huge hit across Europe and they played it one time at this uh um soccer game between Arsenal and PSG and they start uh um they played it and uh they they were chanting like 1-0 like and that was the score and yeah. they would sing it, and then it's since become like the a really popular s- soccer anthem. Yeah, uh, and every team has their own version of it, like in German and French. Um, but my favorite one is, and it's so good, is your shit, and you know you are your shit, and you know you are your shit, and you know you are your shit and you know you are oh beautiful love it
0: it's interesting where this all comes from Uh, you know this comes from like sort of this you know when the when it was written for the village people it was definitely meant to be quite cheeky yeah you know and saying go west but basing it you know around the uh ussr's anthem (laughs) right right, you know there's definitely sort of a uh, a subversive element to that. Yeah. And the fact that it's, you know, come full cultural circle and been adopted by, like, Macho, by like, macho soccer, soccer hooligans. hooligans. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it just shows the versatility of, like, gay dance music subculture. Honestly.
1: And, and I feel like there are a lot of, like, sort of... Uh, I feel like a lot of, like, super hyper macho, like, songs that are popular, or, or, or sorry, like, songs that have become popular in, like, macho cultures and, like, sports culture um, often do eri- derive from, like... Uh, You know, gay culture and things like that. So it's... uh... Yeah, a lot of
0: glitter stuff. You know, Rock and Roll Part 2. Yes. uh, You know, that was like a (laughs) masculinized version of like a lot of gay culture. And we talked a little bit about that Junk Shop glam subgenre two weeks ago on our show. Yeah. And then this is sort of another example, you know, like it didn't get any gayer, but it also didn't get any more mainstream than the Village People. Oh, come on. You know, like it just, they swept the nation and like, people either willfully ignored, which was happening a lot with the culture in the 70s. Uh, You know, it's the same with the Pet Shop Boys as well. There was just sort of this willful ignorance that this was clearly music made by you know, primarily gay people for gay people. <laughs> right, right. Uh, you know, and this is definitely one of the queerest tracks I feel we've covered on the show. Yeah. Which is interesting, uh, you know, and of course you're a wonderful ally to bring it to us <laughs>
1: on Kick the Jukebox. I, I, I'm i appreci- uh, appreciative of uh, m- gay stuff. <laughs> you, <laughs> are, you are. You almost are
0: more appreciative of it than I am. Hey-o. Yeah, hey Yeah, but yeah, it's... um. And then, you know, uh, and then also just the way that it came about that the Pet Shop Boys decided to record this, too, is also couldn't have come about in a, like, more queer way. Right. They were asked to perform for a charity event uh, that was hosted uh, by Derek Jarman, who is the, he was a very, very queer director. (laughs) He directed a film that I super love, And it's very strange, called Listomania. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah. (laughs) Yeah, yeah.
0: And uh, which is a very weird queer film about Franz List. Yeah. Yeah, he was a really interesting sort of... Uh, underground uh, UK filmmaker. Mm. Um, so he was hosting a benefit for an AIDS charity. Yeah. And he asked them to perform. So they decided to do this song and they decided it went so well that they re-recorded it and then it came out in 93 as a single. Mm. Right? I'm getting yes, that right. Yes, yes, yes. But the arrangement of it is like real. It's interesting because it's very like house influence. Yeah, which especially is cool. at the end
1: when it like has that breakdown. It's like really like house.
0: Very house. Uh, yeah, with the with the female vocalists as yes. well. Uh, and it is sort of a tribute to where that gay dance music culture started in the 70s and where right. it had come by the early 90s. That's and that's so something true. else I really like about it too. So true. Yeah, you know. Um, and it also, I feel like it... It's in connection with other things that you and I really enjoy, like you know the lead singer from Bronski Beat, like covering mm. all of that. You know he did a bunch of disco covers, yeah, sort of in the like mid '80s, Donna where he was Summer and trying yeah, to recontextualize, yeah. yeah. Right. So yeah, so thanks for bringing that in. Of course. Well, what have you been
1: listening to? Nothing. I've sworn off music. <laughs> all right, guys, this has been uh, Kick the Jukebox. <laughs> Thank you so much. We'll never do this again. Yeah.
0: Goodbye. No, no, no. We're gonna um, listen to a little track by uh R&B singer from the early 80s named Stacey Ladislaw and it's called Attack of the Name Game the team, the me, wham, bam, the beat-a, beat-a. Well, how about Stevie That's easy Stack it up I got to stack it up I got to see dice go stack a jack The picture the TV They got to move the meat they got to wham, bam pocket by the TV Stevie Ooh what can you do Shirley What? So that's attack of the name game right there, and it goes on like that for another four and a half minutes. Yeah, it's like, an
1: extremely long
0: song. Yeah, it's a good, it's like a good long, like like <laughs> old school rap, yeah, you know, true. like rap track. You know, right. and they all lasted really for a long time, right? Which I'm super into.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, so obviously a play <laughs> off of the classic song, the name game. Yes. And the original writer of the name game gets writing credit on this. Really? Which is great. So yeah. this was just, and he wrote a bunch of other stuff too. He wrote Jim Dandy as well. Do you know that song, Jim Dandy? Do the rescue. It's a. It's great. (laughs) It's another good like early. I think it's like a late 50s, early 60s like kind of like novelty sounding track. And then this was also written, really conceived by this writing team of Jeffrey E. Cohen and Shirley Ellison, who were R&B writers at the time. This tracks from 1980. Two, Mm. and they wrote stuff for Herbie Hancock and Aretha Franklin. They were kind of in it with these R and B acts. Right. Um, Stacey Ladisaw. She was 15 when this song came out. You can hear it. (laughs) Yeah, you can hear it definitely. There's a sweetness. There's a sweetness to the voice, Uh, and also she's definitely not a rapper.
1: Right, right, Right. Something
0: that I love about this song is it's like another early example of. A lot of very very smart people trying to figure out how to monetize this new art form <laughs> and kind of failing. Right. You know, like, and this sort of certainly, but is. it's
1: it, it obviously creates this weird, um, like, time capsule that just like didn't make sense at the time, but now it's like perfectly unique and totally weird.
0: Yeah, that's the other thing that really draws me to this song is, of course, like I like the playfulness of it and I like the childlike nature of it, of course, like that's very much in what I enjoy about music, but also the synth work on this and all of the playing on this is just at that period where I think it was a peak period for... Usage of electronic instruments. Oh, totally. And it still, to me, sounds so futuristic.
1: Oh, I mean, you probably. I mean, it's it sounds like Tom Tom Club to me. Yeah, and and
0: uh, the Tom Tom Club connection with this song. Yeah. Is that this uh, track was mined by the writers of Heartbreaker, Mariah Carey's Heartbreaker, as a follow-up single to Fantasy. Uh Yeah. So Uh this definitely has that like nice like. Throbbing, chilled-out groove. Kyle's yeah. going and resetting the AC again. It's it's just buzzing on and off. Yeah. Oh, thank you, Kyle. It is. It is a hot. It's a fun. It's actually really fun how hot it is Man, to be listening to this hot, hot music. <laughs> this hot, hot music. So yeah. So, and this has the same sort of uh, like groove and pace to something like Genius of Love, yeah. which came out a year before and which they had used to create fantasy, yes. uh, you know, which is just the classic sample, but in my opinion this is sort of no less classic. Totally. And speaking of classic, I learned through my research for this week that none other than American Idol judge Randy Jackson played bass on this album and probably on this song. Wow. Which is probably why it's so funky, is that <laughs> it's sitting right in that doghouse. It's right in the doghouse. <laughs> this song,
1: it's in the doghouse. Yeah, it's
0: in the doghouse. So. So this song ended up making it to number 70 on the Hot 100. Mm. So it didn't do too badly for, like, what I'm dubbing commodity rap. Right, right, which right. Which right. I feel like we can find a lot of, and there's big examples of that. Like, I feel like Rapture by Blondie is in that category. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, and then, you know, lesser lesser songs, Well, too. just, like,
1: around this time, you get, like, the Mel Brooks, like, Hitler rap. Like, Blondie yeah. Dangerfield. This is right at the time when people are, like laughing at the rap fad. Yeah, they just didn't get it. They just
0: didn't figure out what was really going on. But in the meantime, I think that a lot of the original artists, rap artists, not a lot of them, but some of them were really laughing all the way to the bank because... they they were selling selling records hand over foot, oh, yeah. or at least you know Sheila Robinson was the head <laughs> of uh, Sugar Hill Records. I yeah. don't know so much about um, all of the wonderful people that were on her label. <laughs> yeah. If they really made any money from it. many that. of
1: which were actually playing the instruments on those early rap songs, like they had yeah. full bands. You know? Yeah, full
0: bands. They weren't sampling. Right. Yeah. So yeah. So that's Attack of the Name game. I, I played it during a DJ set last weekend at a friend's party.
1: And it was it a banger.
0: You know what's so funny is I w- they recorded I requested a disco set and I ended up playing That um, totally
1: fits. I mean Well it was
0: okay, so I did like a solid like two-hour disco set that was like very, very well curated. Mm. And people were like amazed and thrilled with (laughs) it. And I was I was really proud of it. I actually feel it's some of my best work as a DJ. And then I took a break and then I came back and was like, I'm gonna do something more casual or just play what I want. And they were like, yes please. And this was the song that no one was into. What? Really? I know. One of my good friends said, why are you playing the silly duck song? And I was like, it's not a duck. It's an alien. <laughs> it's an alien <laughs> rapping. So the name. Like
1: it's like it's such it's like so danceable.
0: It's so danceable. It's so funky. They found it annoying. I, think, I guess the voice. Well, I think I think this goes into you know the Aqua album we're going to talk about. Right. Is some people are really afraid to abandon their pretensions because they're worried it's going to make them look unsophisticated. Totally for like pure, like just let go and well have fun pop. Like, right. Exactly. Yeah. Like
1: just let pop be pure pop, and like you're going to have these sort of, you know, the dis- fun disposable elements of pop is what makes it, like, cool and fun half the time. You
0: yeah, know? you know, to quote a song that we're not going to cover today, but that's a very good Aqua song, Be Happy, Yes. Come On, Let's Go, go get, get It, it on. on. Oh, you do a good impression of him. Yeah, thank yeah, you. Yeah, my impression of him is like, Everybody, let's go have some fun. <laughs> right, like, I kind of make it a little more Fred flintstone Like, oh, that's yeah. what I've always felt about him. I,
1: I'm. I've, I have a character I'm working on right now that is very much, like, the European, like, like rap voice, like, yes, let's well, have fun all the time. Yeah, yeah, well,
0: if you need a Lene to your Rene, <laughs> you just let me know. Yeah. So Aqua, founded in the early 90s, 93 ish, 93 ish, 94, Lene Nystrom, Rene Diff, Soren Rusted, and Klas. No,
1: <laughs> You're doing so good. read,
0: Yeah. <laughs> I think that I pronounced the, your name somewhat correctly. Started as a band called, oh my God. Joy Speed. Joy Speed, thank you. Yeah. Released one single. It was a cover of Itsy Bitsy Spider.
1: I, Barely unlistenable. I
0: would say it's pretty bad. Yeah. yeah <laughs> it's like them somewhat unformed, but right. so didn't it chart kind of well.
1: A, but I think it kind of did okay in like. Denmark, uh, where Yeah, it reached the
0: low charts in Denmark, but they weren't happy with its performance. Uh-huh. And then they signed with a new label. They signed with Universal in Denmark. And then, uh, I think they had some sort of renewed focus. Right.
1: And what came from that... Artistic sort of uh, re, uh, re, re, rejiggering.
0: Yeah, something... They figured something out about what they wanted to be doing. And it resulted in their first single in Denmark, which is a song we want to talk about, yeah. which is Roses Are Red. Yeah. So, you know what? Uh, Shall we? I think we should listen to a little bit of Roses Are Red. I actually still need to cue it up. My
1: apologies. But we well, will listen to
0: Roses Are Red. Yeah, Roses. get ready.
1: This is the first single. It came out in 1996. That's right. Um, and it's a banger. Yeah, you love this song, right? I love it. I love it, too.
0: Dum-dee-da-dee-da, dum dee da da dum dee da da and roses are red! Oh my god. Woo! So what we're listening to right now is the basically the end of my childhood. <laughs> this is it for me. This is so nostalgic, so evocative. This is my senior year of high school, and I would say that my friends and I loved this unabashedly Mm. and uh, unironically. You remember this single
1: or you remember the album? I
0: remember this album and this was our favorite track from the album. Little did we know that this was the single that they had chosen when they were building sort of their sound. Yeah. So Kyle, I want to hear why you chose it, because this is what you want to talk about while I reset the air conditioning.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I love this song. Um, It's obviously so fun. yeah, for me, Aqua, I mean, we can get more into it, but, um, yeah, Aqua, especially Barbie Girl, like, that was one of the first, like, my first musical memories as, like, a person, um, and, uh, this type of music in general, uh, I mean, like, when I heard Barbie Girl, it's just, like, it's perfect for a little kid, and it's, like, yes, the weirdest, it, like, it really mesmerized you as a little kid but this song in particular I mean I, I you showed me this album and I've been listening to it for like a year or however long
0: oh um, I didn't realize that the album was new for you the oh yeah album. Totally. oh cool okay. I think I
1: may have heard um, Candyman and Dr. Jones but definitely had not heard this
0: yeah and I do sort of like this in is an, sort of the hidden gem in my opinion totally this is my number one favorite Aqua song yeah, yeah.
1: but it is kind of a really and it, you could tell it's the first song because it does have more of a like Hardcore house clubby vibe Definitely Than the other songs on the album Um, And it's a little older too Uh, This was like 96 it came out And it is kind of a really fun mix And of like poppy stuff And like hardcore clubby
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely And uh, yeah, but it's got that, you know, really nice the two lyrical influences, you know, roses are red and violets are blue. And violets, violets, Wilets are blue, which I love, which yeah. sort of makes it kind of otherworldly and ethereal.
1: Because to- they speak perfectly fine English. They right. did it intentionally, yeah. Yes. And that's the thing, too, is like, and I think this comparison is going to come up a lot, but, or, or not, it came up in my mind of just like, um, and maybe not so much on this song, but just like, um, not native english speakers yeah uh talking about really cutesy things super aggressively like shonen knife is another example that comes to mind and it just creates this like really unique cute and compelling but like aggressive vibe that is just like so mesmerizing yeah (laughs) like he uses the phrase like like little like english like things that are not quite like he says like but so touchable like yeah <laughs> but
0: so touchable yeah, yeah. Uh, and i feel like there's certain phrasing that wouldn't exist if you were a native speaking exactly, english songwriter it's so much more I, i'm a victim to, like, of a heart love messenger <laughs> right which i think is really gorgeous yes you know?
1: exactly i love there are certain phrases and um phrasing that can only come from Like, you know, we are a victim by growing up speaking and listening to English our whole lives. Like, we fall into a lot of, like, like, lyrical cliches, I think. Very much so, so, as songwriters, yeah. Exactly. And I think uh, people who don't grow up speaking English as their first language, they come up with these terms of phrase that maybe make more sense in their native language, or they have, like, you know, little... um, sayings or aphorisms in their own language that when translated into english just come out sounding really weird and cool yeah absolutely
0: Uh, another uh lyrically something for us just to connect here is that it borrows uh phrasing from the iggy pop song the passenger which is such an interesting well to draw from for this kind of music right and i think shows that they're a huge music fans totally and b that they're thinking outside the box when it comes to where it's coming from yeah i want to ride want to ride i'm a passenger that's from that's from the the past uh the passenger by iggy pop yes yeah um so that that's all kind of interesting and then it's got this great kind of you know like big euro house beat to it yes
1: yeah that like <laughs> breakdown that just is like it's just like you're taking ecstasy in Brussels, and everyone around <laughs> you is like, like having a seizure. Yeah, everybody's
0: right. having a seizure. Yeah, and there's there's a clarity and an aggressiveness to this, which yeah. is well, actually what I think made it play so well all over the world. Yeah, is they they clearly were gutting for pop. Yes, uh, you know they were gutting for a pop sensibility, but through their own lens of and being. Yeah, you exactly.
1: Know, they clearly their roots were in like Euro. Eurodance, and and yeah. House, house like, R- Renee hardhouse. was
0: a DJ. Right, they were, Le- they Renee come from the club. Rene was, was, like, kind of, like, she was a TV presenter, singer. Yeah. He's, he discovered her on a cruise ship. Yes. They became friends. They dated, then she ended up marrying Soren. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it's interesting. And then, yeah, Soren was like a, was like a house, you know, was like a house producer guy. you yeah. a house guy. But they were part of a movement that I didn't really realize existed. Yeah. That's actually, you know, part of the, it's a Scandinavian country thing, mm. which I think is so interesting. That's and called
1: just to reiterate. They are all from oh, Denmark, Denmark. Yeah. Uh, except for, uh, Lene, who's from Norway. Yes, that's right.
0: That's right. She was from Norway. Norvi. Norvi. <laughs> they, the, uh, they, so it's this, it's this genre called bubblegum, Bubblegum Dance, mm. which was basically a subgenre genre of, of Eurodance. And it's popularized. It's not a surprise. It's simplistic, more simplistic beats mm. and childlike lyrics. Yeah. And some other big examples of them that are, are, are groups that we would associate with this genre are the, the Venga Boys, Yeah. Yes, uh, which yeah. totally makes sense, and Eiffel 65 yeah. with I'm blue, now yeah. me da, da However, I think it's my and I, and I i'm not super well acquainted with this like subgenre of both dance and of bubblegum music which i should be more cuz it's like all my shit <laughs> but uh i was listening to some other examples today on a big big really fun curated spotify playlist mm. and something i do have to say is i really do feel songwriting wise acro was working in a more Uh, you know, uh, focused. They were way more focused with what they were doing. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they told little stories with their songs, despite the fact they're dance songs.
1: Totally. And that's the thing, too, is they had such a unique and clear sound and aesthetic. Um, And then, and they were able to realize that so well and so simply, which is, like, the best pop music. It's, like, um, you know, like, uh, I think a great example of that is the song... um, uh, uh, which was it? The My Oh My. Oh Um, yeah, my
0: oh my do you want to say goodbye to Half the Kingdom baby? Tell me why.
1: (laughs) And yeah (laughs) I can recite this entire (laughs) album. Well it's just it's amazing that they tell this cute little like fairy tale rescue the princess story so simply and it like fits in so well with their overall aesthetic too. Yeah, and speaking of which,
0: here's another song that does that really, really well. Here's a song called Doctor Jones, which is by Aqua, and is I think beautiful. Indeed.
1: And kisses so sweet, so much of love in
0: the moonlight. I be I be I be Okay, so <laughs> Doctor Jones by Aqua, this is Kick the Jukebox on KPIS.FM, FM, the Golden Stream. Mm-hmm. So this song, ah. Uh, gorgeous and beautiful so it's a reference to the indiana jones series of films there's a few different scenes in indiana jones specifically temple of doom where people are telling indy to wake up (laughs) wake up wake up indy and that's apparently what they were referencing when they wrote this song Uh, But this song is also this like really nice longing song about like summer love
1: oh yeah and
0: i personally feel like, that section, the APIU section, which we're actually listening to right now, is really well written. It's really melodically beautiful. Oh, yeah. And sort of, once again, it, it, like, transcends it from being a little bit more of an overly simplistic dance song, you know? And there's, like, a real longing to it. And I feel like even though it's the most simplistic of lyrics, it feels like there's something behind it, that there's there's an
1: emotion behind it, you know? Totally, yeah. It's really evocative, and I feel like this song, obviously, we can't go too long without mentioning the big hit from this album. Oh, yeah, Barbie, Barbie Girl, Girl. Which, a
0: little bit of, which was, you know, when you were a kid. Right. And yeah, 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 and Barbie Girl's great for kids, and we're not gonna talk about it, we're not gonna play it, because everybody knows it, and there's yeah. so much other good stuff from this album, but Barbie Girl's great. Oh, it's amazing. I, I just don't think it's their best song. No. Yeah.
1: Agreed, and I think... Um, you know, that, they, they, you know, their sound is famous for having this, um, you know, the, the male, female back and forth vocals, um, the like really gruff guy in the sweet, um, candy, uh, vocals from Lene,
0: who also remind me very much of the B-52s, which oh, yeah. nobody
1: talks about. And very I feel interesting.
0: big influence on all the style of music. And
1: aesthetically, too, they had sort of like beehives. the, the beehive, kind of like there was that 90s thing where like, um, yeah. like D-Light and those bands that yeah. were kind of channeling that like huge, like kind of swing in London, like big hair I mean, I mean less sling in london and like kind of like uh you know far side comic type like <laughs> housewife thing with
0: yeah them. like a retro kish like retro-kish, you know yeah, yeah, yeah. 50s 60s aesthetic and right. i think that uh aqua is really just the european version of that totally you right. know down to their music videos that you know at least for this period were all filmed in aqua scope <laughs> yes and yes. <laughs> aqua scope meant putting pink lines at the top and at the bottoms of the letterboxing (laughs) which is you know was so striking for me and my friends in high school we had been watching a lot of you know cult films mainly Uh. through me a lot of john waters a lot of like you know forbidden zone which is richard elfman's and and for this to come out when it did, we were really happy about it because it felt the same to yeah. us as that kind of stuff. We kind of grouped it in with that
1: right away. And I still group it in with all of that
0: stuff. Yeah, yeah.
1: totally. And it's very... It's in that universe. Um, absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah. just like the 90s European, you know, f- put through that weird... Just a really weird specific filter. Um, yeah. And,
0: and, and for a brief moment, at least in the United States... This worked. For some reason, people were into this. Yeah. You know, bar- it was right place, right time. Barbie girl hit number seven on the U.S. charts. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Um, uh, lollipop. It's like one of
1: the first, like, truly, like, the first musical things I remember in my life. It's like yeah. this and the Macarena. Yeah. And, of course. Uh, yeah, I it mean, was uh, that really... was uh, at the same time. Yeah,
0: yeah, Macarena was just a year before, actually. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, so it totally makes sense. Probably Mambo number five as well. Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. and all that stuff, uh, you know, had its moment in the sun. And and I also feel radio play wise and what people were ready to listen to was a reaction to the grunge movement, totally. which had really taken over all of the early '90s up through, and it was really time for. People to express Stop their happiness. So seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was also the middle of, you know, it wasn't a difficult time for in the history of the United States as well. Economically, things were very good. Mm -hmm. Clinton was president. Things were pretty chill. Yeah. And I feel like the music reflected that. It was maybe not the most angsty time for music that was charting. Totally. You know, or at least the songs that were the singles, you know, because like the Cardigans. Especially 97, I feel like was a specific year of... Hanson as well was a 97 band, who I also think are totally great. We're going to cover them at some point. Yep. But, yeah, you know, and Dr. Jones just hits a lot of melodic highs, you yeah. know. Yeah.
1: And the video is great, too. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, like, got this, like, kind Renee of, like, a 60s tar- Tarzani, like, safari thing. Yeah.
0: Yeah, all the videos, we should talk about that for a second. They all sort of have their own genre yeah. that they're doing, but they all kind of have that, like, trash aesthetic mm-hmm. to them, which is totally awesome. Totally. Yeah. You know, so, uh, and this definitely, this album just to sort of talk about what's happened with them since, this album was definitely the height of their success and they did very well with this across the world. Better in most English-speaking countries than they did in the States. In the States, this was fine. Barbie Girl charted at number seven. Rolling Stone called it the most annoying song of the 90s, which was a big (laughs) boost for them. (laughs) Uh, Mattel sued them. Famous. uh, Unsurprisingly.
1: It's like, you know, one of those anecdotes that just gets passed around and everyone knew that they... Yeah, it was just... And also, like, yeah... We got to talk about Barbie Girl and just like the the sexual innuendo of it. Yeah, like being... which is classic
0: bubble gum. It's right. this childlike on the surface, then underneath there's all these bubble bubble entendres going on. Right, which bubble we ta- entendres yes, we talked about before on this show. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: yeah, for sure. Um, oh yeah, but
1: they they got uh, sued by Mattel, the makers of Barbie. Yeah. for, I don't know, copyright infringement. Yeah, or for something.
0: copyright infringement, and then <laughs> the judge. <laughs> the judge when he ruled he ruled in favor of Aqua his final close, his closing statement was I advise all parties to chill out <laughs> which is so funny yeah, and amazing. it's true it's like calm down you know this was nothing but a boost for them sales wise yeah, free shut advertising up. Yeah.
1: How, you, someone at Mattel just doesn't get how marketing works like this they, is the best thing for you they were also just afraid that it was against brand for Barbie shut up you know you
0: make me walk maybe talk to whatever you please I yeah. can act like a snob i can beg on my knees sexy yeah yeah. you know it's all it's all really sexy but it's also all fun yeah and who's to say we talked about this a little bit before you know on the show too who's to say the kids can't learn about being fun and sexy through um
1: through pop music and through the pop music that they're exposed to oh yeah absolutely Yeah. yeah yeah um bad move on mattel's part but hey it still probably made them a ton of money
0: yeah, it did. Yeah. So so Aqua followed this with uh, another album that was a little more uneven that was called Aquarius but has some really interesting stretches of their songwriting on it which I loved. Yeah. Also process-wise should know they apparently wrote all of these on guitar and there is
1: a lot of like kind of Spanish guitar like throughout Mm -hmm,
0: throughout the record yeah absolutely so they they wrote uh, via guitar and then in the studio is when they involved you know the sequencers and and re rewriting for laptop uh you know or for computer at the time it was the late 90s so they were still doing all this via computer however now live they play with no like electronic backing tracks. Really? Yeah. And they sound so fucking good. Like they play with mm. synthesizers. Yeah. And but they do live drummer, live ah. guitarists, live bassists, bunch of backup singers. Very interesting. And if definitely I encourage you to go online and watch some of their live performances they, they they really got it down. They're really kind of professionals at the top of their game at this point.
1: That reminds me a lot of uh, another band kind of from that time who had, had a similar uh, writing process, um, Erasure. Uh, sure, yeah, just a little before Aqua.
0: Yeah. And more well-respected because they were less cartoony.
1: That's right. really the only reason but why. But Vince Clark would write all the songs first on guitar before he would, like, put them on the computer.
0: So— Before we listen to, or sorry, we're going to listen to Lollipop Candyman, which uh, is the last aqua song we're going to listen to today. Um, And uh, was the other song that charted in the States. It was actually a little more popular in the States, singles-wise, than in other countries. Um, Taste. I want to talk about taste for like a few minutes here. People, when I bring this up, a lot of people are surprised I like these guys. Hmm. I know you wouldn't be surprised because you really know my taste at this point. After doing this for many years, you know, for many years with me now, but like, what do you think about this? Um, in terms of why do you think people are ashamed to like this kind of music or to admit it or to to praise it or even? even break it down like we just have for a good half hour from a critical perspective. You know, Aqua doesn't get a lot of this sort of criticism. I looked online and I found, like, a fucking, um, like, uh, BuzzFeed article that was, like, making fun of people's reviews of Aqua, liking it on Amazon. Well, BuzzFeed
1: like, has... I know, that, BuzzFeed is a cesspool, that's a perfect, but that's, so is the internet. No, you know? but that's that's a perfect example of the type of person who wouldn't like who, that, that. It's such a kind of trite opinion um, and kind of like an outdated, like ra- it's raucous raucous. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. To, to, to be shitting on this. And I think nowadays I think, If people were to like, I don't. I just don't think a lot of people listen to it um, anymore. Like, but yeah, because they really had their brief moment in the sun. But I think they're gone. Yeah, yeah. At least
0: from American culture. Yeah. But
1: I think now that electronic music has become so much more mainstream, and like a lot of like new, really hip artists are influenced by um, kind of like late '90s like boy band and girl band pop groups. Definitely. I think this is going. This would be. it, It would. It would be, I think actually now among like hip music people, it would be kind of embarrassing to shit on this. I, I would agree with
0: that. Uh, but I actually just based on my,
1: I think maybe younger people, I think people who like were kind of like coming of age in the nineties and like, you know, or, or the early two thousands when it was like indie rock and alt rock. And that was what was cool. Um, and you had to be like super sincere, yeah, uh, or or be like aggressively ironic, um, like that. That that's like not cool anymore. And people recognize that it's, like, it's all fucking pop music, so if you think you... If you're trying to disguise it as, like, you're being, like, a fucking poet, like, shut the fuck up. Yeah, absolutely.
0: (laughs) Shut up, Patti Smith. No, I'm kidding. I love Patti Smith. Oh, my God. Uh, Yeah, and... uh, Well, (laughs) shut up, Bush. Oh, for sure. Yeah, well, yeah. That's maybe us being raucous, but we're we're not going to cover Bush on this show. We're anti rockist Yeah, we are anti rockist So... Yeah, no, I agree with that. And then also musically and lyrically, these sorts of uh, stylistic choices they've made resurface time and time again in the history of pop music. Mm. You know, this sort of childlike approach to writing songs that, you know, these earworms Mm. hiding these sexual innuendos. Music for kids—that's you know really bringing them into a, a wide world of depravity. <laughs> you yeah. know, like this is this is sort it's of club music too.
1: You know, yeah, it's cool
0: like. well, that's that's the flip side of this is that it's very very simple, uh, easy to understand club music, and you know there is there are periods of modern pop music history where all of a sudden music sounds like this again. Right. You know, like I feel like just 10 years ago or so, all of the big acts from America, from America, <laughs> were working with all of these European producers. Oh, yeah. You know, and that's where we got stuff like Fell in Love in a Hopeless Place by, like, Rihanna. Yeah. You know, and, like, a single like that wouldn't be released now, but or, that was, like, a big old Euro trash music club banger. You or, know? like, I
1: Kissed a Girl. Like sure. Perry, mm-hmm. And, like, all these, like, Bubblegummy. And then, like, just, I think the fact, too, of, like, K-pop groups getting uh, popular, I think that's, like... Of it too. Yeah,
0: well, I think that right now, and, uh, you know, this will be the last word, and this is sort of the future of this style too, of music. J yeah. pop and K pop that's Kari, become, Pamyu, Pamyu, if you're familiar, yeah. Yeah, become popular in the States are mm-hmm. filling a hole that for some reason American artists can't quite seem to understand that it could be very lucrative for them to fill that hole. That cultural musical hole. Yeah, know totally. what I'm saying? And on that note, I mean, I feel like we should listen to this like absolute masterpiece of a pop song. Yes, this is Lollipop, uh, Lollipop Candyman <laughs> uh, by Aqua. We're gonna leave you with this, and I mean, it's all here. Like this is um, there's an oral fixation. There's candy. There's this weird I am the Candyman coming from Bountyland. <laughs> uh, while I queue up this song, um. Where do you think Bounty
1: Land is? <laughs> oh, what a wonderful question! Yeah. Um, yeah, I feel like it's like the candy warehouse of um, God's candy warehouse. Yeah,
0: <laughs> I feel like it's a whole other planet that's just made completely <laughs> out of candy. I might be thinking about that because they they have a Kish like sci-fi themed music video for this one. Yeah, but you know, honestly. In all sincerity, Aqua, we really love you. We do, and uh, I hope that this makes it out to them. And also, you know, I'm g- I'm gonna make an effort to get this one out to Aqua's fans because yeah. I don't feel like I've come across a lot of discussions about this band that are like this. Well,
1: because you were saying they still do have a pretty devoted following in Europe. Especially yeah, like Denmark, in Europe, right?
0: they're they're touring right now. They just did a big music festival in Denmark with like thousands of people attending peak their Insta, uh, it's just amazing to see them still out and at it. Uh, Three of the original members are still members of this band. Yeah. Um, And like, people look like they're having a real blast at these shows and it's literally one of my life's regrets that they don't have enough of a market to travel through the States. Yeah. They've played Canada recently. I've never been more jealous (laughs) of not living in Canada anymore. They play all over Europe fairly frequently. Australia, New Zealand... But, um, you know, we want them back in the states where they belong as being part of the the pantheon of, like, really, really good pop music.
1: Indeedly doodly doodly. Uh, on,
0: uh, on that note, uh, let's take you to Bounty Land. I'm Louie Pearlman And I'm Kyle Gordon. Rate and review us on all of the podcast catchers and listen to us and subscribe to us. And thanks to everybody that is. And uh, we love you very much. This is Kick the Jukebox. Ooh. Kick the jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme, talking about music all the time. Oh, yeah!